The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good evening, everybody. So glad that you have joined us tonight for this Ash Wednesday in the beginning of this Lenten season. I realize for some of you it meant it interrupted your Valentine's Day plans, and uh, thank you for allowing Ash Wednesday to interrupt Valentine's Day. I, I was thinking about uh, 19 years ago today on Valentine's Day when, when our plans got interrupted, and, and we ended up interrupting some Valentine's Day plans with some very dear friends, Craig and Elise. Um, Kim was pregnant with our second child, and we knew the day he was going to be born because she had had a C-section previously, so she was planning on having one again, so his birthday was going to be February 24th, and then she had a little spill where she fell down our stairs on her rear end going down into the basement of the place we were living at the time, and the doctor, she felt fine, the baby seemed fine, but the doctor wanted her to go in and just get checked, and so on February 14th, 2005, we went into the hospital just to get checked out. They hooked her up to a monitor. They checked her heartbeat, checked the baby's heartbeat. Everything seemed fine. But they drew some blood and wanted to do some blood work. And so she's laying there in the bed, hooked up to the monitors, and we're waiting for this blood work to come back. Our, our son, Will, was with us, our three-year-old at the time, because, well, we weren't planning this to be the way we spent our Valentine's Day at the hospital. So I had my laptop computer, and we had one DVD with Dora Explorer and we'll watch the same episodes of Dora the Explorer over and over and over again through that Valentine's Day. We still, throughout the day, found ourselves talking about what we were gonna do that night when we finally got released and got sent home. But part of the problem was that everything was so fine, they were just waiting on this one blood test to come back that they really kind of forgot about us and didn't come in and check on us. And, 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 and Kim ended up getting dehydrated, laying there in the bed, and she went into labor. And so they began to give her some medication, trying to calm the, the contractions and, and see if they could stop the labor, but it, it wasn't working. And so they said, well, if, if, if we can't stop this, then we're gonna just go ahead and have the baby tonight. We're like, wait a second, we got our three-year-old and Dora the Explorer over here. <laughs> that was our problem to figure out. And so Valentine's evening, I call our friends Craig and Elise, who have never really been around kids all that much and said, um, I hate to do this to you on Valentine's Day, but we're about to have a baby. Could you come up and take Will? And so they came up and got Will last minute and I took him down to the uh, lobby and dropped him off with them and, and, and scurried back upstairs and they were wheeling Kim into the OR. My scrubs were right there. I mean, it happened like that. They took Will off for a happy meal and uh, by the time everything was done, my mother had actually landed in Chicago. When she left Dallas, she thought she was meeting us at home. And by the time she landed in Chicago, we had a baby, our son Pearson. An interruption to our Valentine's Day plans. An interruption for Craig and Elise in their Valentine's Day. And so um, I'm just glad that today your Valentine's plans perhaps were interrupted for Ash Wednesday. So glad that you are here. We are beginning this season of Lent. The season of Lent um, is a time for us as God's people to um, reflect, to take spiritual inventory of our life, to do a little spring cleaning of the soul. We talk about it around here as a season of reflection, repentance, and renewal. It, it's not something that's commanded of us biblically, but it's something that those who have gone before us, mothers and fathers in the history of the church, determined this is good for our souls. 
to set aside a particular time of year to do some deep spiritual introspection and to ask God to undo some patterns that we're stuck in, to to undo those ways of of thinking and and, and acting and, and relating that hold us back and trip us up and choke the life out of our soul. And this is work that we're supposed to do all year long, and yet, in their wisdom, the ancient church said, it's good for us to set aside some time, a 40-day season leading up to the commemoration of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection to prepare ourselves for that. And it begins on Ash Wednesday. And once again, the imposition of ashes is not something that's commanded of us biblically, and yet in the church's wisdom, they recognize that ash is a biblical symbol of both mortality, the the idea that we are finite, and sin, our, our fallenness, and the need for us to repent of our sin. And so the ancient church began with this very embodied communal practice of the imposition of ashes. The the traditional words, maybe words that you might have heard if you grew up in a tradition that follows the practice of the imposition of ashes, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. The words that we use with the imposition of ashes here at IBC are just a, a declaration of the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And tonight, as we prepare our hearts to come and respond, I wanna just read a scripture over you. Psalm 103, beginning in verse eight, a beautiful passage that speaks to the reality of Ash Wednesday. Listen to these words from David the psalmist. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. My problem, quite frankly, is sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget the reality of my finitude and my fallenness. And and so as I was thinking tonight and and thinking about how we could prepare our hearts and and do some self-examination, what I thought about is the way in which we respond to our sin. Right? Our responses to our own sin, as well as our spiritual enemies' responses to our sin, as well as then God's responses to our sin. And so I don't want to just kind of walk you through thinking about the way we respond, the way that our enemy responds, and the way that God responds to our sin as a means of preparing our hearts to come and respond to God together tonight. And so when I think about the way that we often respond to the reality of our sin, I think one of the ways that we do that, one of our persistent patterns in responding to the reality of our sin is to hide from it, right? That that there are things in our life, patterns of thinking, patterns of acting, patterns of relating that we don't like about ourselves, that that, that we recognize that certainly we fall short of God's standards because we persistently fall short of our own standards, much less God's. And so there are things about our life that we 
rather hide from. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I certainly don't want anybody else to know it about me. And we try to hide from the reality of our sin. We tend to hide from God because of it as well. This goes all the way back to what we see at the very beginning of the biblical story in the garden. As those first humans, after falling into sin, they hide from one another and they hide from God. We hide from our sin. Second, we rationalize our sin. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just me standing in front of you confessing my patterns tonight. But I wonder if maybe anybody else has ever experienced rationalizing sin. And I think that word is sort of interesting. We rationalize. That is, we tell rational lies about the reality of our sin. I looked up one definition of rationalize. It says, to attempt to explain or justify one's own or another's behavior or attitude with logical, plausible reasons, even if these are not true or appropriate. We rationalize our sin. Don't we do this in our worst moments? We try to make ourselves feel better by making excuses or shifting blame. And once again, this is as old as human sin. It goes all the way back to the garden. They hide and they blame. And we've been hiding and blaming ever since. We, we hide from it, we, we rationalize it, and then third, we determine to make up for it. And sometimes th- that there are those things that we feel shame about in our lives and we determine we're gonna make up for it. That I'll make it up to you, God. I spent 15 years teaching full-time as a seminary professor, um, working with students, and one of, my, one of the things that felt like my uh, significant responsibility was to try to persuade my students that they should not go into ministry to try to make it up to God for something from their past. Because so oftentimes we can find ourselves in response to the reality of shame in our life, trying to feel like, God, there's something I can do to try to make it up to you. And it seems to me that that one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is the danger of religious performance. The vain attempt to try to compensate for our brokenness. To determine in our hearts, I can do better I can be better, I can change myself, I can fix myself, I can make myself worthy of God's love. I'll make it up to you, God. And it's so dangerous precisely because we will never succeed. But the attempts to do so will tyrannize us. In our own response to our sin, we we hide from it, we rationalize it, or we try to make up for it. That's us, but then we also have a a spiritual enemy who uses lies to try to get us to think in wrong kinds of ways about the reality of our sin. And you may remember the old line from uh, the the movie The Usual Suspects, the the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And yet, friends, you and I have an enemy whose, whose natural tongue is lies, And so when it comes to our sin, the first thing that he does is he minimizes it. He minimizes it. He attempts to get us to believe that it's really no big deal. That it really isn't that big a deal. What you did, what you said, how you acted, how you treated her, how you treated him, really not a big deal. 
And one of the things that's so important for us about the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday in particular is that it causes us to contemplate the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And and we look to the cross and, and we were reminded when we look to the cross that sin is a big deal to God. And the reason that that truth is so important is that all too often sin is no big deal to me. The enemy wants us to minimize it. It's no big deal. Or if he can't get us that way, you know what he does? He'll maximize it, right? It's such a big deal. God could never love you. God could never forgive you if you continue to do it and you continue to do it. You do it again and you say, I'll never do it again and then you do it again. And he makes it into such a big deal as though it completely stands between us and God. There's no way that God could ever love us, that God could ever forgive us. He maximizes it or he absolutizes it. He minimizes it, no big deal. He maximizes it, a really big deal, or he absolutizes it, by which I mean that he gets us to think you can never change. He persuades us of the lie that this is just the way that it is, that this is just the way that I am. I think that is our enemy's, one of his greatest lies, and yet I think we walk around believing it all the time. This is just the way that it is. This is just the way that I am. He minimizes it. He, he maximizes it. Or he absolutizes it. That's our response to our sin. That's our enemy's response to our sin. But what about God's response to our sin? How does God respond to the reality of those shameful patterns of thinking behaving and relating that characterize our lives. First, he forgives it freely. He forgives it freely. Romans 3, chapter 23, verses 23 and 24 says, for all, that means every single one of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true of you and me and every one of us. That's part of what we trust in when we come to understand the, the reality of the gospel is our own fallen condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Barry has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But all who trust in Jesus are justified freely by his grace. And that concept of being justified, a simple way to think about it is when we trust in Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God sees you and me. Because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, because of what he did on that wondrous cross where sorrow and love flowed mingled down, we are justified in the sight of God just as if I'd never sinned. And that is available to us freely. He forgives us freely. But second, he forgives us completely. He forgives us completely. You, you heard it in the words that read earlier from Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Imagine getting on a plane and flying north. At some point when you're flying north, you'll cross over the North Pole. 
and then you won't be flying north anymore, right? At some point, you cross the North Pole, and now you're flying south. But imagine getting in a plane and flying east. You go all the way around, and you're never flying west again. As far as the east is from the west, friends, is really far. (laughs) Never to meet again. That's how far God has removed you from your sin. As far as the east is from the west, he forgives us completely. He forgives us freely, he forgives us completely, and he forgives us repeatedly. He forgives us over and over and over again. Friends, you cannot out-sin God. And sometimes people say, Barry, be careful with that kind of message because then people just feel the freedom to sin. You cannot out-sin God. I don't know about you, but my sin is stubborn. I've been following Jesus now for over three decades. And three decades in, there's sometimes where I just sort of think, God, I thought you'd have fixed me by now, right? And some of the things that I struggle with today are things that, that are from 30 years ago. And some of the things I struggle with today, I didn't even know that I've been struggling with for 30 years. I'm finding new things about my stubborn sin. My sin is stubborn. I suspect your sin is stubborn too because the reality is human sin is stubborn but not as stubborn as the grace of God. You cannot outsin God, friends. He forgives over and over and over again. And so the invitation of Ash Wednesday is to do some spiritual introspection to say, what are those things in my life that are holding me back, that are tripping me up, that are choking the life out of my soul? What are those things that I need to name before God? Maybe things that I've been struggling with for a long time, maybe new struggles that I didn't even know that I had, that I need to name before God and ask him again to undo in me. To come forward this evening to receive the imposition of the ashes is to say to God, God, I'm not, I'm not hiding it anymore. God, I'm not rationalizing it anymore. God, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm not trying to make it up to you anymore. I'm not gonna minimize it. I'm not gonna maximize it. I'm not gonna absolutize it. But I'm gonna come and receive your forgiveness that is free, that is complete, and that you graciously give over and over and over again. Human sin is stubborn, but not as stubborn as the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity what Ash Wednesday calls forth from us. Because Lord, while it ought to be a part of our regular experience, it too oftentimes is not. Where we take a look inward and we name those things that we need to name to ask you to undo. To open up to your spirit in this season of surrender and say, God, I give this to you. Would you work your deep 
transforming change in my life. I can't change myself. I can't fix myself. I can't heal myself. Holy Spirit, change me. Transform me. Heal me. And so, God, we offer you this time in which we will now engage in responding to this invitation. A time for us to ponder, to reflect, and then to respond as is fitting tonight. So we pray, Lord, that you would move in these moments of response. And we pray it all through the one who hung on that wondrous cross to give us free, complete, repeated forgiveness. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.